What makes a law firm? It's about passion, knowledge, understanding, and service. That's what defines Fluxman's. In this podcast series, we take you behind the desks of some of South Africa's smartest legal minds. Costa Caridis is at uh, Fluxman's Attorneys. He's actually been here, I believe, you have been here for the longest, or you're certainly in the top three of the people who've been here the longest? The top, the top three, I would think, yes. That's amazing. And what got you interested in law in all those years ago? How, how did it all begin? It was a process of elimination. I had Greek parents who were um, very fond of, and well, who, who worshipped education, and they said that their son should either become a doctor, a dentist, or a lawyer. I applied for the first two and didn't get in, and I got in for the third. <laughs> so it was your third choice. So you are a commercial, corporate, estate agency, joint venture, merger and acquisition lawyer. Yes, contract lawyer really is the easier, the shorter definition, I think. But these areas have all become very specialized. Well, they have. Um, estate agency law in particular was a speciality of ours because historically the firm Raffaele Wiener, which originally merged with Fluxman's in 1990, yeah was the firm which was responsible in part for the drafting of the Estate Agency Affairs Act in 1976. Oh, really? Our late partner, Ronnie Taurog, was, uh, was very prominent in that drafting. And we, as a firm, used to furnish the prosecutors to the Estate Agency Affairs Board, the Estate Agents Board, as it then was. And I did prosecutions for 11 years, and I, you know, they would prosecute before their disciplinary committees. Huh. And thereafter, I, in fact, sat and became chairman of one of their disciplinary committees, the, the Transvaal or Gauteng Disciplinary Committee. That's interesting because I think that, that must have been quite a unique experience. Most of, of the, the, the work would have been for the opposing side well, in these sort of situations. Uh, not really. You know, the, the, the thing was that the Estate Agency Affairs Board had an act with which estate agents had to comply. You know, they had to get their Fidelity Fund certificates renewed annually, they had to uh, file audit certificates to show that their trust account was in order, and very often, of course, it wasn't a situation where it wasn't. <laughs> um, estate agents had a problem, you know. They, and of course, they also had a, a code of conduct by which they had to abide. You know, for example, they had to do their work in such a way that it didn't adversely affect the interests of other parties. They had to represent their clients to the best of their ability. There's a, it's quite an interesting code, the code of conduct. Well, during your time as chairman of the Gauteng Disciplinary Committee for the Estate Agency Affairs Board, you must have encountered plenty of unscrupulous activity, not just from estate agents, uh, but from, from buyers and sellers. Without question. Yeah. Um, we always used to maintain that... State agents had a great ingenuity for securing their commission, but it was outdone at times by the ingenuity of people who were looking to avoid paying the commission. <laughs> so, you know, was, but, you know, having said that, I, I, I must tell you that estate agents work very, very hard, yeah. and they work in, uh, during hours which we don't really fully appreciate. You must realize that all of their leisure time is spent selling houses. Their Saturdays, Sundays, much of their holidays are spent selling and whilst you may get some houses that sell themselves, there are others that they really have to battle to sell. So by me, they earn their commission. Sounds to me like you're, the, you're, you're a sympathetic uh, pair of ears to bring these things to. Do you still deal with a lot of the I, estate no, agency stuff? No, I don't. Stuff? You know, I haven't dealt with estate agency work for a number of years now. The Estate Agency Affairs Board became transformed over the mm. transformation period. But it's, uh, I believe that its, its organs and its, uh, its workings are still the same. It must feel quite good to have contributed to to the law in such a 
a vast respect because this is a an area of law that you would have had hands on you know influence over well i i don't know about influence but it was certainly an area of law in which i participated for a good 12 years vigorously uh, yes in <laughs> on both on both sides of the prosecution table yes hearing it and uh, and prosecuting it and look the some of the things that estate agents got up to i mean were were just just <laughs> astonishing there there was one i mean there was one matter where one of our first cases where we actually withdrew a fidelity fund certificate, and the reason I remember it so well, I think it was the first fidelity fund certificate that I actually asked to be withdrawn. An estate agent in the Mayfair district was going around telling people that he could sell their houses for astronomical amounts of money. All they had to do was give him a mandate for 30 days. Hmm. And a lot of people said, well, 30 days, that's sure. not a problem. I'll yeah. give you one for 30 days. And, of course, nothing happened in the 30 days. And when they tried to sell their house a few months later, up came this estate agent and said, hang on a minute, I've got a sole mandate over this property for 180 days. And you looked at the mandate, and sure enough, there was 180, which the guy said, but I only gave you a mandate for 30. Until, unfortunately for the estate agent, a clever butcher who he went to see who owned a house said, hang on a minute, I'll sign you this mandate, but let me get my lucky pen, which is in the office. And he went into the office and he photostatted the document before signing it. Oh, wow. The guy and was, the, was the, changing it after the, the fact. Doc, he was using one of those ball pens that you could erase. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he was inser- inserting 30 days, procuring the signature, and then changing it to 180, just rubbing out the 30. Unbelievable. And unfortunately, the two were so identical, you know, you could actually see where the signatures had crossed lines, etc. So we took away certificates. Well, it's people like that that give estate agents a bad name. You know, having said that, you must also realize that there are attorneys who have a bad name for uh-huh. the very same reason and who give attorneys a bad name. They have, they have the ability, unfortunately, to deal with other people's money. Yeah. And in estate agency cases, I can tell you that it became very difficult and actually very easy to understand how an estate agent could, over December, where there are no sales, and now this estate agent has just sold a big property, the deposit has been paid, and the deposit generally represents the uh, the agent's commission. That deposit is sitting in the estate agent's trust account. It is a rather large sum of money. Chances are that nothing will go wrong with the sale. The sale will go through, and that mm-hmm. money will eventually become the estate agent's money. The temptation to take that money and pay deposits and pay – well, not deposits, but pay bonuses for Christmas. Take your family on holiday over Christmas, especially in the case of a single Mm. estate agent, could be quite severe. And, of course, invariably, Murphy's Law dictates that if any sale went wrong that year, that's the one that went. Yeah, and then you end up in trouble. A lot of trouble. So, Costa, how's the the practice for you, your own practice, changed over the years? And and particularly here at Fluxman's where you've you've had – so many different areas of the law that you've been involved in? Well, it hasn't changed that significantly. It's just become, (laughs) I suppose it's just become harder. Um, Why do you say that? The law has changed, and the law continually changes, and it becomes more complex. Um, I can tell you, for example, the Labor Relations Act created a situation when we were selling businesses, well, you didn't really have to worry about the employees, uh, unfortunately, it was it was wrong, of course, but mm. you didn't because if the if the new purchaser wanted to take on the employees, he did. If he didn't, that didn't was the end to. of it. Yeah. And of course, when that came on, it became quite a task 
to, uh, to adapt sales agreements so as to include the provisions of the Labor Relations Act. And that's just for starters. The Companies Act has changed in many respects. And um, you must also remember that in the early days I, I also acted as an examiner for the Law Society. Right. So we, we, used, to do, we used to do that as well. And that took up quite a bit of time, especially over the, the exam periods when we used to do the oral examinations as well. A lot of fun and games there, by the way. I'm sure. <laughs> Did you like moot court? No, 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 nothing. No, the, the examinations for, estate, for, laws, for law students would entail a law student failing to attain a certain mark for the written exams. And once that failure occurred, he would have to sit for an oral exam oh, before okay. three members, three, three appointed examiners who had 15 minutes to decide whether this guy had to rewrite the paper or he could go through. It's a lot of pressure. And in those 15 minutes, of course, and so many, so many law, law students fail to understand that if you've done badly in one section of the paper, make sure you know that section when you go for the examination because that's where they're going to concentrate for 15 minutes. <laughs> that was also a lot of fun. <laughs> How many people got through in front of you? Oh, plenty. Oh, okay. A great many got through. <laughs> Now, what I mean, you also failed. But <laughs> sure, of course. Um, what, I've, what I've heard about you is that you're a very early riser. Yes. You like to get as much done in the early hours of the day as possible. Um, is this as a result of having experience and figuring out that that's the thing that works best for you? Or do you think that this is something other lawyers have to figure out? I warned out you, to? Gareth, you know that uh, it's, uh, this, is where, uh, this is where you get these anecdotes. Yeah? When I was at university as a law student there, those days, there were no computers in those days, and the law reports were in hard copy. Right. And there were only two sets of law reports. Uh-huh. Now, if you wanted to refer to the law reports that you'd been referred to in your lecture the day before, and you went to the library during the day to do it, you would find six or seven people ahead of you in a queue waiting for one particular law report. If, however, you got to the law library at 6 o'clock in the morning, you could do the whole lot, and by half past 8 you were finished, everything... And you could then go and spend the day in the canteen playing bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still a, a formula you follow. And I followed it. Uh, you know, I also find, and this is without any exaggeration at all, when you wake up in the morning, your mind is fresh, your brain is clear. You get to the office and you'd be amazed at what was a problem yesterday is not a problem today from the drafting perspective. And you can, quite see the, can easily see the transaction materializing in front of you and you can draft it quite easily. The phone doesn't ring until 9 o'clock. And invariably, you can get done between six and nine, probably a good half to three-quarter day's work. Absolutely. Yes. Now, there's some useful advice. And any <laughs> candidate attorney listening to you now is going to complain horribly about all those extraordinarily long hours. But actually, and the late give, nights. Yeah. yeah. And you've given them a, a bit of a head start here if they listen. It's easier this way. I, I found it easier. But a lot of my partners... I must say, prefer to come in late, and they burn the midnight oil, and they produce they produce first sure. rate agreements during that time. Well, so it's everybody's. It's everybody's. Uh, it's what you get used to, I suppose. Correct. Um, I believe you bake bread. Ah, somebody's been talking. Yes, it's yeah. a hobby of mine. See, I know everything. <laughs> is, is is your bread fantastic? What kind of bread are we Though talking? I say about? so myself. My bread is good. Oh. It's uh, it's artisan bread. Yes. And it, uh, I follow a recipe by a guy called Marcus Farbinger yeah? in Neisner. He runs a place called Ile de Pain. Uh, island of the bread. Indeed. Wow. And it, uh, his bread is just spectacular. Have we got any special uh, secrets you want to give away here? Or is 
Well, you can get the recipe from him. Okay. Uh, go online, and Marcus Farbinger, he will only be too Have happy to let you. Have you improved on it in any way? Not, not a chance. He's, uh, that, that thing just doesn't get improved. But it takes six <laughs> hours. You know, you've got to rest it. You've got to, and there's no kneading. It's just folding gently. It's a, it's a cathartic experience. It actually is. It takes your mind off every, every aspect of work that's worrying you or whatever. It is just making bread. And when you think about it, it's water, dough, and some salt and some yeast, and this, you produce this wonderful bread. It's, it's lovely. I imagine if I speak to you for a little bit longer, I'll end up discovering the secrets to the universe. Yeah. <laughs> about the universe. You seem to have it but all figured out. But certainly bread. Certainly now, bread. When I'm, when I'm stressed out. It is, the, for me, the way to de-stress. Now, you're, you're a lawyer. You understand how important the right of reply is. Yes. We had someone casting aspersions on your character just a moment ago, uh-huh. one of the other lawyers. They, they mentioned that your desk is so tidy, your office is so clean and so organized and so neat. Did they say it's because I've got no work to do. No, they said it's because <laughs> they think that that's the sign of a, of a, of a dangerous psychopath, or, or I'm paraphrasing to a degree. A great lawyer I once knew, Gerald Rubenstein, a former partner of ours, walked in and said, whenever you see a man with a neat and tidy desk, it's because he's not busy. <laughs> well, defend yourself. Yeah. Well, I am busy. I, uh, I spend a lot of time clearing my desk because I save a lot of time thereafter finding documents which I have filed properly. There we are. Thank you very much. An <laughs> adequate defense and, and more than adequate discussion. I also believe you're, you're interested in, in military history. Oh, yes. So this uh, is a, a, a track that you and I can go down that probably no one else cares about, but... You've obviously been to the Imperial War Museum here and, and a number of them in, in Europe. Certainly the one in the UK. Yeah. In, in England. That's that war, incredible. That's huh? an incredible war museum. The Imperial War Museum. All those uniforms, those weapons, those, those, uh, the, 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 the and, descriptions and, they and, give and of all the those two, battles. And the two cannons in the front. Oh, wow. Ramillies. Yeah. 14 inch. Yeah. But Philip Vallett and I went there two years ago. We spent the most wonderful day there. The two what, uh, what particular period of military history are we talking about in terms of your fascination? Well, um, certainly the, the Anglo-Zulu War. Uh-huh. Rock's um, Drift, Sandwana. Right. You know, Philip and I have been down to, uh, Philip is also an avid historian. And, I didn't uh, know this. I should have known wider, this before. Wider knowledge than me. He's, he does the American, the American Civil War is his favorite. Uh-huh. But I'm also very interested in long history, um, well, longer occurring, back in the times of, let's say, ancient Greece. 400, 450 BC, 600 BC, the, okay. t- the Persian invasions of Greece. Right. Those are, those are fascinating. For so me. we had, uh, Phaedipides and, Phaedipides and, and uh, uh, Sparta and Athens. Sparta, the war between Sparta and Athens, certainly. The defense of, uh, the pass at Thermopylae. Very good. Leonidas. The, sorry? Leonidas of Sparta. Leonidas of Sparta, correct. Right. And the 300. There we are. You know, of course, that the 300 was only part of a force a combined force of Athens and Sparta, one of the few times they allied themselves together. To, against Xerxes against, of against Persia. Xerxes, correct. And Xerxes threw, and they said to Sparta, uh, contribute. Mm-hmm. And Sparta said, well, how many men are you contributing? And Athens said, we're contributing 4,500. He said, in that case, we'll send 300. <laughs> <laughs> now, your own Greek uh, ancestry, I mean, are, are you uh, from the island Greeks? Are no, you from I'm the mainland next Greece? Next door to Sparta. Very good. That's next why you're Sparta. interested. Huh? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. That, that, that part of history really is fascinating because the Spartans, as, well, as you know, the, the, the Persians discovered a way around the pass. Right. And it was, uh, it was shown to them by a Greek called Ephialtus. Who was a, a traitor. 
Well, the word for traitor in Greece now, in Greek now, is Ephialtes. It yeah, took are. his name and made it the, word, the name of a traitor, the description of a traitor. And as soon as he discovered, as soon as they discovered that they were going to be outflanked, Leonidas dismissed the Athenian contingent, told them to go home, and the Spartans stayed. And fought to the bitter end. Fought to the death. Two Spartans were sent home to tell the Spartans about what happened, and they were disgraced because they had not stayed. And, and died. they only redeemed themselves by fighting in the front line at the Battle of Plataea when the Xerxes was finally defeated. Well, I think your, your battlefield is now the law. <laughs> but you carry on a proud tradition. I well, love it. I, you know, it's, it's so interesting because you know, history has a way of, uh, of giving you lessons for the future. Well, you've given me some lessons, and well, I think anyone who, who listens to this will learn a few shortcuts to make their life in the law that much more efficient. I, I thank you for your time. It's very good to talk to you, Costa. Thank you very much. It's been enjoyable. You've been listening to Fluxman's Attorneys for the Love of Law. For more information, go to fluxmans.com.